Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Hey, how's it going? Well, it's going pretty good. How about you? There was a big uh, cornhole tournament at the roof of the Moda Center this weekend. Are you? Uh, did you melt? Uh, yeah, well, not as much as we probably could have because we got dusted in the first round. Uh, oh, really? You got, it was an so, early exit? Yeah, well, so it was pool play. We went 2-1 and one in our pool. And uh, the first round, we played a team called Frodo Baggins. <laughs> and one of the partners told his buddy that um, apparently that if they won, they would win season tickets and not a uh, a cooler in game tickets. So oh. this guy's like six months. And he was like Steve Nash out there with the cornhole bag. He just beat Shane and Joe like a drum. It was bad. And they get the first round, I think it was 21 7. And they beat everybody else like 21 0 and 21 5. And like they just, they ruined everybody. Wow. So. Yeah, we were out there for a couple hours still, and it was a great time. It was a huge turnout. It was something like close to 100 teams. Wow. So, yeah, Who it was. there was such an interest? Um, It's Portland, Tara. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things going on this weekend, but. That was, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I came off the night before at the Disturbed concert, and I know you want me to use my, my Disturbed uh, lead singer speaking voice. Yes. Okay, wait. I want to think it because you date gave me a little demonstration of your Disturbed voice before we got on the air, and I was quite impressed, and I thought, my goodness, that man should be doing commercials. <laughs> so uh, let's see. What could I have you say? Why don't you do like a little bit of uh, Blazer introduction, like – you know, like warm up by like introducing the first couple starters. I see the, th- the thing about this guy's voice. If you guys have ever listened to the band disturb, you've probably heard down with the sickness or something along those lines where he's got a loud growly voice, but in between each and every one of these songs, he's telling everybody how much he doesn't care about what color they are, what they're male or female or how they identify. Or you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to work my way into this voice right now, but he has this, this philosophical voice where he goes like this and all of a sudden it becomes Damian Lillard for the Portland trailblazer. <laughs> But he has this staccato carry voice that just goes out and carries out over the crowd and brings you all in to love one another. And it's 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 so crazy because he's this jacked version of Phil Collins and Goldberg from WWE. And he has this calming presence in between each song that makes you want to break something. And uh, yeah, it was just a really unique weekend to like back in those two events together because I was at till the Moda Center till midnight on Saturday night and then back at Moda at nine o'clock in the morning for Cornhole. And it was just two vastly different uh, crowds, I guess. <laughs> well, if you could work some of his voice into tonight's podcast, I would really appreciate that because it's a very interesting and different <laughs> sounding uh, thing. It's almost like we have a third uh, guest with us tonight. I'll, I'll, I'll go to, uh, I think it's... I want to say his name's David, David Damien. Something along those lines. Okay. But yeah, after we get done recording this, everybody, everybody listening, see if you can find an interview with the dude and hear his voice because it's incredible. All right. Well, speaking of Damien, let's talk about CJ McCollum. Damien's running mate for the next five years. <laughs> that's locked in. All right. That's right. Transition. So, so uh, just, you know, just a week ago, CJ McCollum uh, inked a $100 million extension with the Blazers, and it led to a lot of questions. 
it led to, you know, much excitement because a lot of people are excited that Damon and CJ are locked in. Um, but it also is kind of like the timing was uh, I mean, I guess it was like the moment they could first start negotiating it. But did they really need to do it right away? You know, what does it mean for Anthony Simons if he's going to be playing the two? Just a lot of questions. So I kind of was wanted to start with um, why do you think the Blazers uh, went to do this right away to lock down CJ with this extension? All right. So as I alluded to with the post that I did with Dave Deckard earlier in the week after it happened, um, I think it was equal parts fear and trust and or loyalty. And I'll, I'll start with the fear part of it. I, I think that 2015 still weighs heavily on their mind and any player worth their weight at all, they, they just want to take care of. Uh, it magnifies because he's Damian Lillard's running mate. He's now the second longest tenured blazer behind Dame. Um, and I think that that kind of spooks them in a sense because replicating the success going into 2016 um with that team let's be honest that's that's not happening again what do you wait what are you replicating the success of 2016 what are you talking about the projected win total being 27 and a half and coming out way ahead of that okay Okay, thank you. So, Luke, like, basically, there's been a lot of talk about 2016. No, no, the, the team, not not free agency, not that stuff. Okay, but I'm thank you for clarifying the, the overall success. Okay, uh, letting or you know reshuffling your roster so that three of your five starters are gone, four really, because CJ wasn't a starter until Wes went down. Um, I mean, those are those are situations like you're not going to find another situation to come along like that. Like as much as I love Dame, putting that burden on him is just unexplainable. So I, I think that they wanted to lock in a very good player uh, for the rest of his career, basically. I mean, as far as you know, the productive part of his career, where he's going to be a consistent starter. The other part of his trust and loyalty, because the Blazers have in the past, particularly with Damian Lillard <laughs> in his era, um, they get this stuff done early and on time. It's always announced on the day. I mean. When free agency opened this year, Dame's deal was one of the first things announced. That Neil was in Oakland with him mm-hmm. to, to have the paperwork done for Supermax. Yeah. I mean, so it it doesn't surprise me at all. It's completely consistent with the way the Blazers have operated all of these years. But it seems to me like you were surprised by it. <sighs> there's There's what actions are and what the messaging has been and the actions have been exactly what you stated the messaging has been we want to maintain flexibility but also take care of our guys and have continuity and all these things also we we alluded you alluded to a little bit anthony simons typically when you've got a young upcoming guy that you're really really excited about you're trying to clear the way for him not lock in his competition for five more years well, okay, so I, I have a, a couple thoughts on that. So, um, and it goes back to, I guess it goes back to locking CJ into a specific amount. And I don't know that we know exactly. We know that it's a total of $100 million but we, over three years, but we don't know how that uh, is being broken out. I mean, it could be about 33, but it could also, you know, start high and go lower. They could have front-loaded it, but... I don't think they would have done that, uh, particularly that far down the line, 
but whatever it is, it's a set amount, which and which to me seems like for teams like if the Blazers were going to trade him, having it be a set amount seems like it would be enticing to other teams because they know exactly what they're getting into. They know exactly how much longer he is signed for. They don't have to worry so much about getting him in the last year. I don't know. So tell me why that's not a good theory. Okay. For the flexibility aspect, most teams when they're looking at a player like trading for of CJ's caliber. Um, and let's, let's put CJ in the Eastern conference. He's probably a one or two time all-star. Like, I mean, last year you had D'Angelo Russell. I think it's very simple to see CJ McCollum in that instance being an all-star, right? So he, he's, he's legitimately right on the cusp, and he just happens to play in an era that's just loaded with guards. Um, but he's still a very good player. Um, but if you're talking about trading him or trading for him, you're going to have these discussions of whether or not he wants to commit, right? And that the, the, these things happen in the background that, that whether people do or don't know about. When these deals get made, these talks take place. I mean, that, that happens. That way they know what they're getting themselves into. Um. And with that, not having CJ locked into that makes a team locks them in to what that is financially. And teams a lot of times don't want that. They want to have the flexibility to negotiate those things. They let, let's say the worst thing happens. Let's let's say that a team is looking to trade for CJ. And they traded for CJ before he signed this deal, right? And it was a team that like let's take the Thunder, and or the same kind of scenario. They, they play one year with him. Everything looks like it's going to go great. Let's say a Kevin Durant type situation happens. He bolts it. Somebody blows an Achilles. Now, or perfect example, the Wizards. Look at Bradley Beal right now. Do you think a team wants to trade for him knowing that he's locked in for all of these years? Or if the Wizards want to lock him in for all of these years, knowing in reality that John Wall may never, ever be what he was before? That flexibility matters particularly at the age 27, 28, 29 years before they get into the 30s. I I look at it differently. I think you're looking at it in a real black and white way. And I think that there's a lot more. I, I would guess that there is a range of attitudes that teams have about this type of a situation. And just because some teams wouldn't want somebody knowing that, I also think it's a better deal than the John Wall contract. Well, yeah, yeah, I wasn't trying to compare it to John um, even, even looking five years out in the future. But I mean, I think there may, I think you're probably right. There are teams who are like, no, we want flexibility, but I don't see why there couldn't be other teams who want the, you know, want the, the knowing of Will there be what it is they're dealing that, with. That want that locked in? Sure. But the, the wider market is going to appeal to the, the appeal for more for the wider market is going to be the flexibility. Because it's not like CJ's heading into his lame duck year. Like he, he's got two years left. He's got this year and next. So it's 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 a little. It was a little bit striking to me that they got it done so early. So I guess my one question is because we I and mean, we've already talked about the fact that the Blazers do do these things right away. They do them at the first moment that they can do them. So even though it seemed surprising, it's also at the same time not a surprise. But I want to understand how things would be different. If the Blazers had waited another year until they started talking about this with CJ. Wait, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't hear the last part of that. 
so how would things be different if the Blazers had waited to go into this negotiation and work on this extension with CJ? Because they did it at the first possible moment. What if they had waited a while? Now, the the flip side of this, obviously, it, it, the negatives of, of what you're talking about here is that they could have risked pissing CJ off. Mm-hmm. That's certainly a possibility. But I think at this point in time, and this is where, like, when you talk about the black and white part of it, and this is where, in my head, if I – this is, again, me speaking as if I were GM. And I know you can't operate in black and white. But I think there's a level of players that have the, the necessity to get these deals done with. And those are top 10, top 15 players in the league. That's it. If, if I was running a team, that that's that's the, the, the level that I would operate on. I would try to take care of my guys as best as possible. But particularly when it comes to players uh, at the, the when they're signing a contract at 27, 28, 29, that's going to put them into their early mid-30s where you typically see a pretty significant drop-off. Um, we're seeing it in Westbrook. We're seeing it in Chris Paul. We're seeing it in, in, in a lot of guys. Um that you have to be, you have to do some risk assessment. And people can talk about how CJ's game will age well. They, uh, that that's fine. I, I I don't necessarily disagree, but at the same time, I I think you have to be careful when you commit to those guys so far out because you now you start setting a precedent. And I think we saw some of that precedent already set when they gave Harkless the money, when they gave Turner the money, when they gave Lennon the money, when they gave Alan Crabb the money. Because again, that, that little bit of that fear kind of seeps in. Like what, you know, of taking care of guys and, and and whether or not you're you're a organization that doesn't look after its players, and it's a dicey, dicey path that you have to walk between doing what's best for the now, the present, you know, the the the, the, the as far as like the uh, being competitive and taking care of guys, and knowing what's coming down the road. Yeah. So here's the thing. You know, one of the th- you know how I've always said that I believe Damian Lord one hundred thousand percent when he says that he's going to stay in Portland, and I believe that if Damian ever leaves Portland, it's because we screwed up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> and keeping CJ and making Damian Lillard happy in that way also seems like there's a real premium on that. That seems like another part of the reason that they did that. Yes, and if that's like the the real key with it, I'm not thrilled about it, but I get it. Uh-huh. I, I, I do. But at the same time, if you're the GM, if you're the president, if you're the owner of the team, you got to be careful walking that that bridge for Dame. And I'm gonna get somebody really mad at me right now. Yeah, me. As much as I love Damian Lillard, I think, and you have to take the input from the star guy when they're a legit star. But I don't think you can let stars dictate those terms unless they're a top five. Absolute no doubt. You have this guy on your team. You're a title contender type guy. And again, that's me operating as a GM, black and white guy. We're talking LeBron. We're talking Giannis. We're talking Kawhi. Like, I mean, Steph. I mean, that that's that's the line. Like, it's got to be one of those guys where you're like, okay, we have this guy on our team. We we do whatever was necessary to win a title. Mortgage the future. Like, if they went, if the Blazers had... Paul George and Dame or Kawhi and Dame and they did the, the, the let's use Kawhi that's a better example and they just did what the Clippers did and they mortgaged everything to to make it happen and forfeited all those assets I would not care one bit not it not not even a little bit but Dame's right on that line of being that guy right and it, it's like as a GM part of me I'm like again it's black and white 
And I know it doesn't operate that way, but in my head, that's when I'm drawing those lines. That's how I look at it. Right. Well, I mean, that's why they get paid the big bucks because these are not easy decisions. They're no. all hard. They're supposed no. to be hard. That's like, that's part of it. And for me, you know, Damien is that guy for me there. He is up there because, you know, and this kind of gives us, can, we can talk a little bit about the Portland premium. Like, I feel like Damien, you know, he's the star in Portland and he's the star that's going to be in Portland until something happens. Either he retires or something happens that, like like I said, like we messed up and he wanted to leave. And I never, ever wanted to be that day. And like, that's just, that's just how it's going to be. Um, you know, we're on the edge of the earth. We're farther away. We, we say that the, you know, that the NBA is smaller because, you know, uh, travel gets easier. It's easier to communicate. It's easier to, you know, be in touch with your family, even if you're not living together. But still, the Blazers put in more miles than anybody else. They pay more taxes than anybody else. There is a premium that we have to pay people to come to this city. Do you believe the $100 million for CJ is more than that Portland premium? Cause I kind of, I don't know how to pencil this out, but it just, no. it made sense to me that it was like, well, okay, that seems like, like a lot of money. It's a lot more than, you know, Draymond Green. It's the same amount of money, but it's for a whole year less than Draymond Green just signed. With, with some other things in there too. So, right. So talk like, about the Portland premium, I guess. Okay. This is something I've talked about a lot. And then I know a lot of people kind of like, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to say don't get it, but there's a lot of people that, that genuinely don't think this is a real issue. When you're talking about bringing – and this is the difference, I think. Uh, resigning players in Portland I think is different than free agents in Portland. Bringing in new players, there's almost always a Portland premium. The, the exception, I think, and this is kind of a weird example, is Rodney Hood. Right. He wanted to be out of Cleveland so desperately that he waived his bird rights and then he got here. And this is the thing. The vast majority of players who come here thoroughly enjoy it. And that's been true for a long time. Now, don't get me wrong. There was the the, the, the era uh, late 90s, early 2000s where that's not true. And there's obviously some other racial undertones that that certainly carry a lot of weight. Um, it, with with different uh, eras as well. Those are problems that existed and ha- and continue to exist. That I don't I don't want to get into right now. But the other part of this is is taxes, right? The income taxes for these guys and say what you want about millionaires. This is their pockets. Portland playing in this market hits them harder than almost any other team in the country. The other teams that have these problems, New York. Los Angeles, guess how they can make that money back? Marketing. Big endorsements. Right? Big endorsements. Real quick, real easy. Portland is not that market. That means a lot to these guys. That's millions upon millions of dollars. That's easy for us to say, like, oh, they already have millions. Guess what? I've never met a single person, no matter how rich or how poor they are, that wants to pay more in taxes. Like, that's just not a thing. So that's that's something you definitely have to consider. But that's the the, the free agent or the, the when you're talking about free agents. I went back to the Rodney Hood part of it. Rodney – I know for a fact had offers greater, much greater than what Portland had to offer. And in Jason Quick's piece, he even outlined that the Neil was like, "Hey, listen, we we didn't think that there was even a chance in hell that Rodney would sniff us for five point seven million. When he did, we were thrilled. 
And that has to do with that continuity, that culture, and building those things. Those are the things we're talking about, the positives of having all those things, of taking care of your guys. And that's where it's not quite as black and white. But when it comes to re-signing guys, other than stars, Portland, I don't think, has ever had to pay a real premium. And I think that's 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 kind of the, the weird thing in my head right now about why why the, the value was what it was for CJ. And I am all four team get the bag. I always have been, always will be. But I just have a lot of questions that I just can't get answers to. Well, let's move on because we spent a little bit more time talking about this thing <laughs> than I thought. Because hey, I didn't get as mad as you thought I would. I know. You did good, Dan, because I know that you were like a little <laughs> taken aback when it when it first happens. But I think it was we did that exercise where you pretended you were that other guy's voice. It got relaxed you the a little bit. There you go. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I, I do want to talk about is like the basketball implications of, of five more years of Damon CJ together and how we're gonna how we're gonna measure these guys' individual impacts. I want to have a whole nother discussion later about how you like um uh, how you judge duos, you know, in the league. But for tonight, I'm really curious about like how are we going to be able to tell how much value, you know, CJ brings to the team? What are some of the ways that you would measure if, let's say, you know, he was living up to, or if we set the baseline and go, okay, this is what the baseline is. We expect that he's going to do at least this. What are some of your thoughts about, you know, CJ as a contributor, you know, as a contributor to the team for the next five years? Okay. So I'm going to preface this by saying there's something I've been working on for a couple of weeks and I'm still not ready to put out there, but I'll give the kind of the gist of it. For those of you that don't know, prior to doing all of this stuff. I, I worked as an analyst. I worked as an intelligence analyst in the military, and I worked as a business analyst. And one of my primary responsibilities was often doing gap analysis. For those of you who don't know what gap analysis is, it's to take a look at all the different places of whatever you're in, what is the standard, and then where you sit, and then finding out how you measure up. And so I'm doing essentially the same thing for the NBA. And as I look at that, I'm trying to find what bars to establish for um, – your value value replacement player, your average player, your star player, what they are, and then base by position, right? And so I think when you look at that, you have to, and this is the, the again, this is my mind being the black and white, right? You look at the the actual on court production. It doesn't factor in his relationship with Damian Lillard. It doesn't factor in his relationship, the, the symbiosis that they have on the floor. It's just the black and white. And you have to have benchmarks. You have to understand what those are league-wide. And so as I look at these, the big one for CJ is, and it's the one that he's going to hit hardest on every single time, it's scoring, right? I mean, you, you look at him for the last four years, he's over 20 point, or over 21 a game. That, that's what he's where 20.8 or whatever it was in his first year as a starter. But basically, he's, he's 21 to 23. And there's not a lot of guys in the league who give you 20-plus points in three assists, three boards a night. Like, that's a pretty good number. Like, peak Brandon Roy, night in, night out, 25, 5, and 5. Like, that That was what – That's when you talk about guys like that, you're talking about Kobe. You're talking about Dwayne Wade. Like, you're talking about guys that are really good. So he's sniffing that that area. But you look around the league right now and what these guys have done at the guard position. And I think when you when you're trying to establish value for CJ, it gets it gets a little murky because the guards that are in the NBA right now are so dynamic and is led by his teammate. 
I mean, we're at the point now where nobody's talking about who's who's behind Steph anymore. It's Dame. Steph has just set the bar so damn high that it's unbelievable. But you go down the scoring list. Do you look at Harden as a different position? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to look at all guards, then yeah. Then they, but I'm I'm looking more at and again, Harden's kind of a weird one. The same way Giannis is a weird one, right? Because they're positionless in, in, in how they and uh, how they are as, as on ball initiators. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at CJ w- without looking. Where would you say CJ ranks among guards in scoring per game? In scoring per game? Yeah. So we're, we're talking point guards, yeah. two guards. Where, where would you think his 21 a game falls in at? I would say top 30 to 40. Okay. You're just scoring. Not 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 overall. Just just scoring wise. Points per game. Just scoring. Just scoring. Um, I'm guessing that that's wrong. That's <laughs> <laughs> why you're trying to get me. You walk, you walk in the back a little bit. No, no, no. It's it's a smaller number. It's he, CJ seventeen. That, that was a long. Oh. Get you to seventeen. But let me go ahead and name the people that are in front of him. Just just right in front of him. Mike Conley, D'Angelo Russell, Drew Holiday, Luca, Demar Derozan. When you when you're talking about how guards, and you can debate whether or not Luca's a guard. I, I, I get that. But Zach Levine, Bradley Beal. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that are in front of CJ in that production line. Now, these guys have different roles in their offenses than than what CJ does. But when you're talking about scoring, would you, would you say Mike? Would you? Would you? We talk about CJ's a bucket getter. Would you consider Mike Conley that? You're asking me a lot of rhetorical questions. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm this, is, this is a general one. Would you? Would you assume that Mike Conley is a bucket getter? I, I think it's, it has to do a lot with with narrative. No. I mean, he scored the same amount as CJ did. And that's right. what, like where what the image of CJ is and what the actual box score production is. And like when we're talking about how we value CJ, and this is again the black and white of it. If we're talking about in terms of guards, and we're we're, we're divorcing him from everything else, we're just looking at the production. It's it's very good, but there are a lot of guys in front of him, and that's where we're talking about the value. The and the, the when I talk about value in the league, I love. Uh, I try to assort, assault, assign a positional dollar amount, like per position, right? What are the premium positions in the league right now? Obviously, centers are devalued around the league for the most part, with the exception of you know guys like Embiid. But look at Yusuf Nurkic. Is his production that much less than Joel Embiid? Not, not really. Like in the grand scheme of things, it's it's really not. Uh, or that much less than the guards on his team who just signed massive extensions are going to make a lot more money. But again, it's it, it's the same kind of situation we talk about in the NFL right now, where the value of the quarterback versus the value of the running back. Like the the guards in the NBA, the pro, the, the the primary ball handlers are the quarterbacks of the league. The, I, I think for the most part, you can look at centers right now as kind of as the running backs, where they're incredibly valued. And there there are thing there there are ways to work on the margins, which I think the Blazers did a fantastic job of with Yusuf Nurkic and getting that deal done when they did and for his production, where you can make these these value uh this make this value shine. So are you saying is this all to say that that the way we're gonna value CJ is on how many points he scores? Not, not just points, but just, I'm I'm just talking about box score production. Like, like when, for me, when I'm talking about contracts and, and how they live up to that, the flip side of this, if you're not talking about the black and white, is the actual performance and what they give you right then and there. 
but I mean, we, we don't have to look back very far. CJ's game seven against Denver was insane. That that's that's the that's the the the, the craziness that you can't account for, and that's that's the, I think really that's what you're paying for. And I think that part of it is a lot harder to quantify. And if you're on the side of signing CJ and bringing him back and giving him that deal, that's what you're latching onto because he has those those innate abilities to take over a game, right? I mean, and that's what makes this exercise so difficult. Like this is a really long way to say of measuring somebody, particularly like CJ, who is I don't think necessarily entirely optimized because he's a lot like Dame. He could have more value somewhere else in a in a featured role, and then let's say he's not featured in Portland. I'm just saying in general, I think he would look better um, statistically if he weren't wasn't option two or option one B when Dame's out there. Right, that's what I'm getting at in terms of you know when he's so closely aligned with Damian, you know how do we uh, how do we determine you know, what CJ is bringing to the game. And I'll tell you why. So here's why I wanted to have this discussion. I've had a vision, Dan. Okay. (laughs) And I know I don't have a great track record because I think last year the vision I had was that the Blazers were going to either win 36 or 46 wins. And we saw how that vision panned out. But I had a vision (laughs) of CJ making the all-star team this year. (sighs) So what I tried to go back from that, I, I, like, I, I, okay, I appreciate what would CJ have to accomplish in order for that to happen? A, he'd have to do it right out of the gate because there would be no time to warm up. He would have to, you know, be so outstanding right from the beginning that he's immediately on, you know, people's minds and thoughts. Not that I think that he's going to get voted in because that's the uh, fight that I'm going to fight for Damien. But for him to get appointed or placed on an all-star team, what does he have to do considering the other, you know, um, uh, guards in the West? Okay, so typically with guys like CJ, who are later in their career, who've kind of sniffed around it, you have to have a snub season and then really do something. Uh I I don't think he had a snub season. He needs to have a snub season first. Yeah. Two years from now. And the problem is... What just happened to the West, Tara? Who, I mean, who just came out here? Like you added more guys to the West. I mean, the guy, honestly, who's had the snub season, the, the best player in the NBA, never to be named to an all-star team right now is, is, you touch, you touch ass, you touch ass. Oh, for God's sake. Are we going to talk Donovan Mitchell? No, Mike Conley. Oh, Mike Conley. Oh, okay. He's had snub seasons. Hey, you got to stop with the rhetorical questions because I'm not getting <laughs> any of them tonight. I feel should, like really I'm well in school and we're done with that. <laughs> <laughs> but Conley's that guy. Like if anybody okay. – so if you want to set the table though, the Blazers are coming off the Western Conference Finals. They made all these changes that everybody's celebrating. Everybody's really excited about. If the Blazers come out and just stomp mud holes in everybody mm-hmm. and they've got one of the top three records in the West – CJ has a shot mm-hmm. because somebody's going to have to, and I, I, it's not it's not going to be anybody else in that starting lineup. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just, it's not. I mean, let, let's let's put it this way: if we're talking about Hassan Whiteside making it, do you see him making it over Nikola Jokic? <laughs> no. Like, like if Nurk wasn't making it, like he wasn't even like really in the discussion. Do you really think Hassan's going to make it? And that's yeah. No, I don't see Hassan making it. If like I don't. 
my I would reserve our center uh, spot for the All Star team for Yusuf Nurkic. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And Zach's, I don't think it's going to put up the production necessary to, to give the consideration, even if he was a monster, like Draymond, Rudy, defensive player of the year candidate kind of guy. He just, he's got to have more of a record to show before that, right? So, and it's not going to be Rodney. Rodney's going to be a good player. So, I mean, if the Blazers get out and really get after it, which we haven't seen to start a season yet, really, since LaMarcus left, then then there's, you could, you could you know, as they say, speak it into existence, from your mouth to God's ears. That exactly. could be for the second year in a row, that'll be our slogan. Perfect. The <laughs> way is if Dame, you know, maybe he becomes more of a distributor and CJ takes on the, a bit more of the scoring load. Maybe the, the roles reverse and Dame drops down from the 27 a game and CJ becomes that guy. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe we're going to see even more of Simons and it's going to, we're going to have two of those three on. Yeah. At all times. I don't know. It's going to diversifies be the lineup and spreads out the scoring. And it does weird things for the, for, for like the individual awards. Right. Right. And if CJ has times where, you know, he is clearly the primary ball handler in, you know, in the secondary lineup, along with being the secondary uh, playmaker in, you know, the primary lineup, that's just a lot of, a uh, lot of exposure that people can, can get to him. Exactly. Anyway, so- that's my vision. <laughs> I, I I I I love the vision. The one the one you had with the Blazers had more dunks. That was a good one. That was a, that was a really really good one. And I think that one's a safe one this year too. Yeah, I think that that one is. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> between yeah Whiteside and I don't know though. Jake had a lot of dunks and now he's not here. So <sighs> well, we we did get a um, few questions. It was pretty quiet on Twitter the last few days. I think everybody is on vacation. And, oh, hundred um, percent. Or they're all caught up in some wild hog thing, which I don't even know, want to know what it is. Don't tell me what it is. But I just logged into Twitter and everybody was talking about wild Feral hogs. hogs. Like, yeah, I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting out of here. Um, but I was, I was on there long enough to see a few questions that we had been asked. So let's go ahead and go through these quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them comes from Jeff Kramer at Hoop Storyteller. The he original says, OC. That's Storyteller on the forums for all you folks. That is the CBA god right there. All right. Well, he wants to know, is it better or worse for the Blazers that national media, for the most part, expect them to lose more games this season? I always would rather the Blazers be the underdog. So I say that better. They, they're always at their best when they've got something to overcome. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. And, and I think for, for once, I think the national media has some ammo. And it's not necessarily that the Blazers didn't get better. I just think the West, and this has always been the narrative. The West is so strong. Mm-hmm. So they, You're they not add, saying anything different than of any other no, years past. They added the Finals MVP and just what appears to be a, the, the, a basketball host in Kawhi Leonard. Like, I mean that that's a that's a massive massive deal. I mean, yeah, we can talk about the the fall apart of, of the of the uh, Thunder and almost got to the Rockets and and could possibly be the Rockets. But now the Jazz are better. Now the Clippers are better. Now if the Lakers stay healthy, they're a freaking nightmare. And it's like talent-wise on paper, 
you, you can't blame anybody nationally for looking at the Blazers and going, well, Whiteside's had issues. Rodney Hood's been kind of up and down throughout his career. He's had good years. He's had bad years. It's, it's nice. Zach Collins is unproven as a starter. Um, there's a lot of hype around Anthony, obviously. Uh, Bazemore is a nice addition. Fits probably better to the team. Hazonia's bounced around, been with two of the worst organizations in the league as far as like how they develop guys in the Knicks and the Magic. You, who do you really have in him? Um, like those additions, they, they aren't sexy. And it's not just that, like there's measurable production for the guys that a lot of these other teams added versus non-measurable production for the, for the guys that the Blazers have added and whether or not how well it's going to fit. Like anybody's looking at this going, well, I don't know how Anthony Davis fits with the Lakers. He's Anthony freaking Davis. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was Anthony freaking Davis the whole time he was with the New Orleans Pelicans too, Dan. Oh, you mean the one that averaged 26 and 12? Yeah. And how did they do? Except for the one sweep of the Blazers. <laughs> Okay, last year, listen. No, a- okay, we're not getting into Anthony <laughs> Davis. Anthony Davis. <laughs> but I do want to ask you one quick question, and we are not going to dwell on it. But have no. you noticed the uh, the national media starting this new narrative about how, well, LeBron really isn't worrying so much about winning anymore? Did you I mean, notice that? That's that, sort of like yesterday, and I'm like, what? No, I mean, it started a little bit last year because he went. He's in the twilight of his career. Yeah, but though they're like they're they're talking about it on multiple shows now, and it's like you just got Anthony freaking Davis. Oh yeah, but I mean, they got, suddenly like, had, LeBron doesn't care about winning. I think I just think it's interesting uh, timing and kind of funny, and I really sort of kind of want to see how that plays out. Oh, it has all the potential in the world to completely blow up. Like that's, but like we said with Portland in the past, a lot of what they've done is capitalize on teams blowing up. Like the, the OKC series, and this is not to take away from what they accomplished. Dame took Russell Westbrook's heart out of his chest like Indiana Jones, just served it up on a platter and dropped him in the lava. There's no doubt about that. But that team hated each other. Like the. the Russ must be the most just masochistic dude in the entire NBA to continue trying to jack up threes and cowboy pistol his hands and his hips every time it hit the back of the freaking rim. He nicked Young so many damn shots. It was like he wanted that team to fail. But the Blazers, what they have done and they continue to do under Damian Lillard's leadership is not be swayed by it. They, they does not be like that. No, and they, they you've got to give them that credit, but I think they have to have I think they have to have the stars line up for them. And I don't think that's taking away credit from them. I, I just think that the, that their that his his steady leadership combined with their talent is better than sometimes this more volatile talent that can just blow up. But yeah. in the in the grand scheme of things, look throughout history. How many dark horses really get it done? The only one that I can think of ever in the NBA in modern era are the Dallas Mavericks. And even then, they weren't really a dark horse. They had a bevy of Hall of Famers. Again, you're talking about the only possible outcome is winning the championship. No, I'm, There's other outcomes. We're talking about the national perspective. Have a successful no, we're talking about the national perspective and how right. they're framing things. That's, that's what I'm going with here. Like – do I see them making another Western Conference Finals as things currently sit? No, I, I don't. But the big thing here is the roster is not set. And this is, listen, I don't make a lot of big bets, but when I do, they usually pay out. If you want to make a big bet, 
the Blazers make a massive move at the trade deadline. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Literally say it. <laughs> they are going to make a move. Okay. Oh, I can't wait till the season starts. I can't wait till the season starts. Okay, a couple more questions. We're going to move on. Rose L. Harding. Hey, Rose. She wants to know, I need a rundown of nickname potential for the new guys. Existing names or new ideas, anything is fair game. And I have to tell you, I'm not inspired by the list that I went and I looked at. That's me talking. She wants to know if there's a list. I'm Tara talking, saying I went and I looked at their names in basketball reference. Not inspiring. What, what, what do we have? Um, Whiteside, Agent Block. Or Count Blockula. Count Blockula is uh, not that bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It just feels like maybe he came up with it himself. But I don't know. Taking a walk on the white side is not bad, too. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Or we could maybe work in some sort of white walker side thing. Um, Little has Philosopher Naz, which I kind of like, although I don't know what it, where it came from and it doesn't really roll off your tongue. I need to get out my philosopher voice again. It's There you go. Very good. Um, and, you know, Hazonia, Super Mario's pretty Super Mario's awesome. good. Super Mario's good. Like that Super one. Mario's good. And then Kroby is another one, which I thought was pretty funny, <laughs> which I'm guessing is the Croatian Kobe. Kroby. That's that's pretty baller. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> as much as I despise Kobe, that's, uh, you know, because that's uh, it's a lot like uh, Mirko Krokop. Now, and I'm sure you're, you, you familiar with him at all? UFC fight? Now, he, he, he was a kickboxer who one leg puts you in the hospital the other he would say one leg hospital the other leg grave oh god <laughs> well yeah i mean it's so funny i'm i'm so curious about hazonia i feel, i find him very he's gonna be a fun dude he's a little bit and of enigma like he on the one hand he kind of looks like your best friend's brother <laughs> On the other hand, <laughs> he just happens to be six nine. Yeah. On the other hand, he looks like he could like crush you and be like a bad guy in a James Bond movie. So oh, he, I don't know. He definitely looks like he's he's the son of uh, uh, Ivan Drago. Like, there's no doubt about that. But he's gonna be fun. There's there's, there's no doubt about that. But yeah, nicknames like Nasir Little. Like, there's there's some potential with Nas. Like he's got great hair. He's got some good names to work with. I had a really bad little Nas X joke. Like there's, there's some stuff to work with there. So, yeah, but yeah, we got to get something going up. We asked, I just, I'm just not a fan of big Z. I just, we both think I, it's lame. I, I'm not, well, I don't like to use that word, but I like, I just, there's just, I feel like there's more that could be done with Zach Collins. And, <sighs> He's going to have some game where he's going to earn something because Big Z is just like, yeah, I mean, he's tall. I'm not sure how big he is. <laughs> he's bigger than so, me. What's worse than Big Z is Big Drip. Oh. <laughs> that, that's Colin. And it's just, it's it's a little yeah. rough. Like his last name's Collins. You can go a little bit Phil Collins with him, like Colin Genesis. I don't know. There's, there's got to be something oh. there you can work with. Oh, the beginning and the end. Hey, I'm trying here. Yeah, a little, okay. Head in. You hit Anthony in the studio talking about some marketing stuff and I, I got to get the wheels spinning. Got to keep up with the young kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ant is like an easy one. That, yeah, that no, and he has the logo like that. Yeah. He, he's, he's good. Like that, that, that young man is set. Does Pow have any nicknames? I don't think I made it to Pow. Uh, Big Spain. Oh, yeah. Well, well that could be his brother. Pow. I don't know. Uh, yeah. He's just so refined. I, I just call him Opera Man. <laughs> That works. Yeah. Opera Man, like the old Adam Sandler character. Uh, they, they, they do call him Kung Pao, and the basketball reference also has meal ticket. 
Uh, I don't know. Maybe is he a meal? I don't know. We have so many foodies on it, this team. It actually seems... lists him also as ET. I'm assuming because he looks like an alien. Ah, huh. I the, wonder where that comes from. Interesting. But yeah, there's, there's there's certainly some potential to work with here. Yeah, yeah. We'll be on the we'll be on the lookout for good ones. Send us um, send best your best nicknames in the comments, guys. Yes, that's, that's that would be doing. that would be great. Okay. Well, last question is all time favorite vacation. Well, I mean, this one's easy for me. You better say. What if I yard a month ago uh, where I got engagement vacation or you'll be in big trouble. Like, I'm not even that. Like it was a phenomenal time. Like um, my, my, my favorite place on the planet is uh, the Amalfi coast in Italy, but like Puerto Vallarta is going to hold a special place in my heart forever. Um, we, we've decided that next year, um, next summer, that's where we're going to be. We'll be in Italy. Um, so whether or not we get legally, you know, married and hitched there or we do it in a courthouse here, that's what we'll be next summer. And that may be the spot that like takes like the, the second spot. I tell you, Jake Lehman and his fian- or his wife are on a beautiful uh, trip in Greece, according to their Instagram fees. They are living it up on the Greek coast. Yeah. It, having it's, it's, an awesome time on their honeymoon. This time of year, there's no better place on the planet than the Mediterranean coast. It is just to die for. What about you? Um, okay. All time favorite vacation. My honeymoon was pretty freaking awesome. Cause it was six weeks driving around the Southwest, uh, camping down in like arches and Zion and all those campgrounds and everything. That's a badass trip. And it also happened to coincide with the blazers 91 run, uh, up to the finals. Oh. And, uh, the first, uh, round of it was against Phoenix and we were in Utah and, uh, so we got to sit and we like timed our stuff so that we could go to like the bars and watch the games, mm-hmm. um, and then go camping in between games. <laughs> so as one just, does, that was a super fun vacation at the end of our, uh, at the end of it, like when the blazers, um, finally lost, we were like, it's time to go home. <laughs> we was like an open-ended Long, quiet thing. drive we like, home. Just nobody like, talking. We were like, we, they need us. We need to get back to our team. <laughs> That was awesome vacation. I can dig that. <laughs> okay, we got one more last thing to talk about, uh, and that just came out. You were um, pretty uh, hot under the collar to talk about it before we got on. Yeah, because it's stupid. <laughs> and that's the debating the all-decade team, oh, which uh, NBA.com just put out. So why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your thoughts? You've got to keep them, you know. I'll, I'll go short. short. Okay, the first team, you, you, you can't question. You and I, I think, are in agreement on this. First all-decade team for the 2010s, Steph, Harden, Braun, KD, Kawhi. Right, and to clarify, this is for the the decade that just so the, the and it just includes the... Uh, 2009 the, to 2019. That's yeah, the, the year that just ended. Yep. So I don't think anybody's complaining about that, right? Steph, handful of rings. Harden, <laughs> James, Goat. KD, handful of rings, MVPs, Kawhi, uh, two finals MVPs, two titles, two different teams, and a complete freak of nature, right? I think that's... Yeah, that's I mean, the- if there was any, I think, that you were going to debate, it would be Kawhi, just because, you know, he missed a season in there, and, you know, the whole thing was weird with the separation with Spurs and everything, but, like, in terms of just, like, how good he's been, yeah. Mm-hmm. Second team, the all I hate everybody team. <laughs> this is the all just like most annoying team of the decade. <laughs> CP3, Russ, AD, Blake, Mello. 
Yeah, I and think... on that team, like Blake is the least annoying of them. <laughs> that's I mean, that says something right there. Yeah. Bless like, his heart. I'm sure they're all wonderful people. I mean, are we sure? Mm. So Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, um, yeah, <laughs> together with Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin, and then Carmelo. So this this still has Carmelo as an all-decade player. Which I'm not really going to argue because by statistical production and everything, all-NBA, all-stars, all that stuff, he was still relevant until two years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, again, we're getting to the wishy-washy. Right. I know. I know. It's just that, like, you know, um, I guess when we look at the other team um, – I don't know. I guess I would maybe bump Carmelo down, but I do want to keep him on there just for the chemistry. Yes, exactly. Because the, the next group, chemistry. <laughs> the next group has mostly good dudes. Yeah, um, this is kind of like mostly really fun guys to hang out with. Or so at least some fun guys. Yeah, there's there's with. definitely one on here. That's, yeah, yeah. D Wade, Kobe, Kobe, PG. LaMarcus Aldridge, for all of you people out there who want to hate on him, reminder over the last 10 years, he's made seven all-star teams and five all-NBA teams while averaging 21 and nine. Stop it. And Giannis, uh, kind of hard to keep an MVP off the list. Like his, his production has been limited in that run, but his production during that run has been otherworldly. This is where I think things get a little bit weird and where I got a little bit pissed off. Kobe being on this team, considering the last time he was relevant was six years ago. When the Blazers um, finished his season for him. Yeah, I mean, like, if I'm you... never, ever going to forget and not bring up the fact that Kobe retired after he played the Blazers. He yeah. saw Damian Lillard and the next day he retired. I'm done. <laughs> the uh, the other part of this is um, – Speaking of Damian Lillard, by nearly every statistical measure, Dame beats out Kobe in every single metric. In their production for this decade. Yes. How he was left off this team. Like, if you want to talk about Kobe as the all-2000s team or in a top 25 debate, and yes, I don't have Kobe in my top 10. There, I said it. (laughs) Um, Sure. Cool. Great. Grant. Awesome. And this may be me being a little bit of a homer, but also there's a lot of numbers to back up Dame. I genuinely think Dame should have had an opportunity to be on this list. Um, I honestly don't have a problem with LaMarcus. I think he's maybe the most underrated player of this generation as far as like guys who got consistent all-star nominations or selections. I, I really don't think there's a guy in the league right now. I think, I think he's a guy that we look back in 20 years and go, God dang, that dude was really good. Like when you when you look at his production, you're just like he gave you twenty and ten for like twelve years. Like how many guys in the league really do that now? I mean, the guys that do are all absolute superstars, and I think that's kind of speaks to who he is versus what people wanted him to be. And that was the kind of the storyline they had in Portland. That's always been interesting to me. Like when you look at this list, though, Tara, what was your first thought on all of them, or just on the um, oh. well? I sent you a text and it had some colorful language in it about what I thought the second team was like. <laughs> Is this true? Um, I just uh, would was was not impressed with the like I said the chemistry of the second team. I was pleased to see Lamarcus Aldridge on here in a Blazer jersey. Yes, they do have been there because most of this production was you know as a Blazer. Yeah, so I I think you're right. Like um, and Paul George, and I guess I just don't know what other 
power forward. I mean, I don't know. Has Paul Millsap been that good? Could they have put uh, him in there? I don't think they could have put, put him in there because even when like his best years, like statistically, they just don't stack up. I just don't know that this was really the decade for, for power forwards, you know, because I mean, they it, were either. It was, but it was a different kind of guy. It was yeah. Blake. It was Mello. It was AD. Um, KD really was a, a four. Yeah. I mean, stretch. the guys who are sort of slotted in as as power forwards and Draymond really play other. Oh yeah, Draymond isn't on there. Yeah, yeah, that's defensive player of the year, All NBA, three titles. Like, yeah, <laughs> I might put him in over Lamarcus. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think you would have anybody saying that's that's crazy. Like, I think yeah. that's a that's a argument. I think you could do the same for um for Clay. I, I would put Dame above Clay. But I mean, if you were going to knock guys off, I think those are the three guys that you look at. Who would you knock off? Hard to, hard to knock off Wade because this decade did, was the big three era of the Heat. Yeah. Right. Like, um, I think Kevin Love is also another guy you could consider here. Yeah. Like production wise, he had some monster years. If you're going to knock anybody off, it's Kobe for one. LaMarcus probably for two. I want to say Paul George, but nah. and as much as I hate Russ, his production is out of this world. Yeah. And you, and you can't yes. knock anybody off the first team. So it, it is tough, but I think Dame over Kobe is the one that I have the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, it's a fun, um, it's a fun debate to think about. Yeah. Who you would take off and who you might put on, because now I'm thinking Clay Thompson probably should be on there um, as well. Like you said, and but I'm wondering which were Paul Chris Paul's best years? Were his best years really before 2000? No, I guess he's got Bob 11. City Clippers was was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's his, his so num- crabby. I just feel like you should for like being so crabby, you should get some sort of demotion. Yeah, no, I, trust me, I completely get it. But I mean, his his numbers 18, 10, and five, and we talk about guys that um, are efficient, like. He shot from from 2009 to 2019. He had two seasons where he was sub 37 percent from three, and with the, this year is the only year that I think he shot below 47 percent from the field. Mm-hmm. And he's a, like an 88 percent free throw shooter. Like, and he's just le- with a frown on his face every shot. And he was top three or four in the league in assists every year. And he was what top. He was top in the league for four of those years, and he was top in the league in steals for five of those years. So, like, hard to knock him off that list. Yeah. <laughs> but Clay's so cool, and he signs toasters, so he should get some credit for that. <laughs> All right, with that, let's uh, go ahead and wrap it up. <laughs> what do you have coming up, Dan? Uh, I, I have one that's going to make you happy, and oh. make, should, should make everybody happy. Uh, obviously we, uh, this past week we had Sean Hyken on before that we had Anthony Simons. It's August. So we're booking guests because people are around and there's a little bit more free time. So with that in mind, we have the illustrious, the amazing, the wonderful Amara Baptist, the social media coordinator for the Portland Trailblazers will be on the show on Thursday night, um, to tell me how awful my tweets are and how great Joe's are. I'm certain. Um, (laughs) uh, but we're having Amara to come in and talk about all the things they do, what makes them great. I mean, the, the Blazers social media, whether it was Chris Coivisto, whether it was Cody, whether it's Amara, they, they've had three of the absolute best people come in and run that account. And th- that's insane when you really think about it. Like you look around the league at how many teams are bad at doing this and 
to, for the Blazers to have the consistency and to bring in incredibly high caliber people like Amara is, is awesome. We'll, so we'll talk a lot about all, everything that kind of goes into that package. Right. It's another uh, of those, you know, refrain that we keep hearing about the people that they bring in and the way that they treat people. And, yeah. you know, we talk about that with the players again, you know, that's why CJ, I think that's a big part of why CJ want to stay. Cause he knows he's going to get treated right. Yeah. I mean, he could want to, finish out his career on the East coast with some team or something like that. But I think part of, of, of being with the Blazers is like, it's not only it's the known, it's the known that the organization isn't a complete disaster piece. Like there's not a lot of like, there's probably eight to 10 organizations in the league that you can say aren't a complete, just clown show within the last two or three years. Like every organization. The well, clip- I, I think it's safe to say that some of them have had their moments, but that's pretty broad brush to I mean, 20 pre- franchises with. Realistically, in the last, what, decade, I mean, we're, we're, we're not that far removed from Donald Sterling at the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the circus the Lakers were last year with Magic just bailing, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle <laughs> before a game, before they played the Blazers. Uh, yeah, again, I mean, the Blazers. The common theme is that everybody looks at the Blazers and goes, Darn, there is a well-run organization. Why can't mine be like that? And then they go off in a huff. I mean, everybody talks about, you know, what the 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 the, the worst in the league are. You know, you look at the Knicks, you look at the Suns, organizations like that. But when they – and the Pelicans are getting all this positive press. But for years, they were looked at as a, you know, a disaster. Same with Orlando. I mean, you just go around the league and it's very easy to go. You look at Portland, the worst thing they've done is sign some bad deals. Mm-hmm. Like there's been that, the worst thing they've done is pay people a lot of money. Like when you really think about the grand scheme of things as a player, you're probably like, huh, little rain, <laughs> extra money. It's not all that bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We What's really that? do have to wrap it up this time. Um, you know, uh, I don't have a lot going on. I just got back from vacation, just trying to get my feet out from under me. I've got some guests coming up for women's hoops and talks over the next few weeks. If you want to subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts or on on wherever you get your podcast. You will get two podcasts a week for most of the weeks in the summer. Um, The weekly podcast and women's hoops and talks. So go ahead and subscribe to that. You can follow Blazers Edge on Twitter at Blazers Edge. You can follow me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can follow the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. And Dan, why don't you go ahead and take us out of here? All right, folks, as always, you can find me on social media at DMarang, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. Questions, comments, concerns, my DMs are always open. Um, this is the time of year where if you got questions, please send them my way because it's so hard to come up with new stuff. <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's, 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 it's just fun. Uh, otherwise, you can get voice me. for that. Yeah, I know. I got to use my philosopher voice, not my whiny voice. You can also find me. Uh, I'm not going to do it. It's just too hard to work into. You can also, find me on Blazers Outsiders with Joe Shane and I on Thursday nights on NBC Sports Northwest at 6:30. Um, we should have some announcements to talk about stuff that we're doing next season here in the next couple weeks because that's how the TV business works. And we should have, hopefully, by next week, the NBA full schedule out. So I'm I'm poking and prodding to see if I can get some leaks ahead of time but no Christmas Day game woohoo day off off. hooray awesome Uh, other than that for Tara I'm Danny catch you guys next time bye